Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, your host, and today I'm joined by our, our very own Mark Stiving, Pragmatic Marketing Instructor, Pricing Expert, and Adrenaline Sport Junkie. Hello, Mark, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for letting me talk again. Oh, always good to have you. So one of the things that, uh, you know, when we hire an instructor, there's really, there's several different criteria. They've got to walk the walk and done this and led product teams. And they've also got to be obviously good speakers. And I think that's important because it's almost as important how you say something as what you're saying. And so I thought today I would talk to you about, you know, speaking skills and how do we improve them and how do we put more force behind the words we're saying in order to have more influence. So my first question for you, Mark, is have you always been so good a speaker? Boy, I'd sure like to believe the answer to that question is <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but I know that it's not true. It, it turns out that if you go back a long, long time in my history and you ask me, are you a good speaker? I certainly would have said, yes, I'm a really good speaker. But probably eight years ago now, I joined Toastmasters and I started seeing what it really meant to be a really good speaker. And I can say, honestly, I was not a really good speaker. I was an OK speaker. I could stand up without falling down or or you know, embarrassing myself. But I didn't really get the messages across that I wanted to get across. And so. After Toastmasters, after many, many years of Toastmasters, I can honestly say I'm such a better speaker than I was before I really put in time working at it. And so when I step back and I think about this whole process, it's like any activity, any sport. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Nobody's born perfect. Nobody's born awesome. And so even if you're an athlete, you're training constantly to get better and better and better. I'm still a member of Toastmasters. I still have coaches that teach me how to speak and how to speak better because I want to be better and better at what I do. And I'm often, uh, I tell people I'm a Toastmaster and I suggest people join Toastmasters. And some people say to me, well, I'm already a really good speaker. And I find that so frustrating. I don't say anything to them about it, but I find it so frustrating because it's like everything else. You're really okay, but you could be great. Definitely understand that every skill you have, you can practice on and get better at. But why do you think it's so important that people invest the time and energy in order to be better at speaking? Why is that such an important skill? Oh, what a great question, too. We stand in front of audiences for only one reason. Well, okay, there are two reasons. But one reason would be to entertain people. That's not why I stand in front of an audience. That's not why most people stand in front of an audience. We stand in front of a room full of people because we want to influence people. We want to educate them. We want to help them learn to do something different, something better. We do it for influence. And if we're just an okay speaker and we spend an hour in front of a room full of people, we missed an opportunity to influence that room full of people. And when we're really good, then we get to influence more of those people. We get more influence in the people that we have an opportunity to speak with. I can't imagine any other reason why I'd want to stand in front of a room. And how do you think that particularly relates to our audience today, right? The product management and product marketers, how, where are they going to be able to really level up their careers with these skills? Wow, what an awesome question. 
So product managers, first off, they have to influence so many different people. They don't, they don't control or run their development groups or their marketing groups or their sales groups. They have to influence them to be able to do the right things. And then product marketers have to get budgets for their programs, for their products. And as they go up to present to management, to executive levels, they need to be able to influence them to, to get the funding for their projects. And just standing in front of the room and doing a great job at influence, as they start to influence more and more people, they become more successful, that's what's going to drive their careers, is making things happen. And you make things happen through influence. So I have to say, from my own personal experience, I was a, I was a pretty shy kid. And uh, standing in front of the room was not my favorite thing to do, right? I can remember having to stand in, in our one speech class in high school and reading a poem. And it was, you know, stand there, arms behind the deck, or just trying to get through it as quickly as possible. And I, I think as I've gone throughout my career, I've done it a lot more and I actually really enjoy it now. But I think fear is one of those reasons that people uh, don't spend a ton of time in this area. And one of the reasons they try to avoid it. Do you have any stage fright? Well, nowadays I have really zero stage fright. I speak so much, so often in front of so many people that I don't get scared at all. But I used to have stage fright and, and I could probably present scenarios where I would get stage fright still. But here's how you don't have stage fright. Stage fright comes because we're worried about what people think about us. And if we stop worrying about what people think about us, then we're not going to have stage fright. But it's really hard to say, stop worrying about what people think about you, but instead switch your entire focus. It's not about you. It's about your audience. Is your audience getting the message that you want to get across? And when you focus exclusively on that, you don't have time to have stage fright. It's nothing about you. Now, I did say I could present a scenario where I might be afraid. And so if you were to take some topic that I'm not an expert at, that I don't know much about, and you put me in front of a room full of experts on that topic and ask me to talk about that topic, I would be terrified. Because everyone in that room is sitting there looking at me saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not very smart. He shouldn't be up there. How could you not be scared doing that? But as soon as you step back and say, I understand my content and my goal is to get my message across, stage fright really does go away. So the trick is, is making sure you have the expertise and the knowledge in your area, that domain knowledge so that you're comfortable about what you're talking about and then focusing on how to streamline and improve the messaging so they're getting the key points. Yes, and I think the other part of that is to make sure the goal is to get the message across. When you stand in front of a room with that specific goal, that's much different than standing in front of a room saying, I hope I look good. The goal is to get the message across. And I think that's really an important message too for our, for our audience and for people who present because sometimes you have the opposite problem when you're a, a domain expert, right? You almost know too much. And so you, you sort of just throw everything up when you talk because you have way too many details in your head and you're just trying to show all the information you have. But that's not going to get your point across, right? That's not going to get the key message you're trying to do. That's just going to overwhelm them with information. And so I think that that's also a way for people to measure what they're, what they're getting ready to talk about, right? If I want to talk about and I want to convince people that we should spend 
you know, millions of dollars on marketing programs next year. I don't want to give them all the stats and all the line items we're going to do. I want to talk about the strategy we're trying to accomplish and give them enough depth that they know there's something there. But I have to be careful that the message I want them to get across are here are the four things we're focused on. Here's what we're going to accomplish. Here's how we're going to do it. And not all the details behind it. Well, that's absolutely true. One of my favorite speakers, his name is Craig Valentine. He was one of the world champions of public speaking and Toastmasters. He teaches a concept he calls the foundational phrase. And a foundational phrase, he's crafting a speech, a story, but the speech has a purpose. And you could say that purpose in 10 words or fewer. And when you come up with that foundational phrase, then what you've really done is you've said, here's the reason I'm standing in front of this room. It's the reason I'm giving the speech or the story. And now you can go through your content and say, is this helping me hit that goal? Is this helping me give that message? That is a great idea and a great way to stay on point and and avoid the rabbit trails, which is really hard when you are an expert in the area. There's so many interesting things. And Oh, should I share this that I learned on a market visit? And what about this thing? And then it can all at the end distract from the main foundational phrase and the main purpose of your presentation. Absolutely. So I think another big thing for me has always been practice. So I know I was reading a, a, a great book about Churchill and, and we think of him as one of the great orators in the world and, and just the number of times he would practice. And for me, the biggest change that I think helped me was remembering to practice out loud. You know, for a long time, you would just sort of read through it. You would mentally review it. But when I actually just started speaking out loud, I trained so much more of myself to kind of respond the right way, right? I had that connection between the mouth and the brain working in a way that that didn't do it for me when I was just mentally reviewing. Do you practice today? Do you talk to to Jake the puppy and and practice your speeches? Uh, So do I practice today? If I am writing a new speech for Toastmasters, I will practice that speech. Uh, Obviously, I... I tell stories in classes and I don't practice those often unless I'm about to change it. I'm always trying to tweak the stories, make them better. And if I'm going to change the story pretty dramatically, I'll practice that. But um, in general, I don't need to practice that content anymore because I've delivered it hundreds of times at this point in time. Right, And you deliver it regularly. So there's not like there's a big gap between when you last did it and now it's, it's part of what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. But when I'm delivering new material or I'm trying to create a new speech, new content, absolutely I practice. One of the things I find fascinating with practice, you talked about the brain-mouth connection, is when I'm speaking and when I'm practicing, oftentimes I'll say something wrong and then I want to stop and say it over again or I want to stop and fix it. And that's hard, and it's really difficult to get through an entire speech or an entire conversation. And what I found really helpful is to not allow myself to do that, to pretend that I'm just doing this in front of an audience, and I go the entire seven-minute speech or whatever the story happens to be, and then I can go back and say, okay, now I want to fix this piece and this piece and this piece. I record my practices so I can listen to myself and what I said um, it, it's it's huge. If you want to have a great impact, then you want to make sure the stories are right. You want to make sure your content is good. That's a great idea to record it. But I, you also brought up, um, I think, another important aspect of a good speech is stories, right? 
talk, talk a little bit about stories and why you weave them into all your pieces and how you think they help. And what makes a good story? It turns out that our brains are wired to tell stories. Cavemen used to tell stories sitting around campfires. I don't, I don't know how we know that, but okay, we know that. But, but we live with stories. When we hear a story, we start to get emotionally involved. If I were to list four facts for you, it's really, really hard for you to remember those four facts. No one cares about facts or data. But as soon as you tie an emotion to it, it makes it easier to remember. It makes it more impactful. You internalize it in your own head. And the only way to get you to attach an emotion to it is with a story. And so we'll tell stories. It could be two sentences or three sentences as a story. It doesn't have to be a really long story. But the fact that we can tie your emotions into a piece of data, into a point that we want to make, makes that point more salient, more relevant to you. And so, so great speakers always tell stories. Now, some people will say their favorite speeches are the ones that have humor. And some say, you know, sometimes, but humor is a, a double-edged sword, right? Sometimes it really adds and sometimes it can distance your audience. Do you, do you use humor? Do you have opinions on humor? What makes humor work and not work, do you think? So I've never heard of humor distancing yourself from the audience. I'm thinking like a, a, a joke that maybe is inappropriate, doesn't resonate well, right? Like, you know, you when a joke flops <laughs> and there's that awkward, oh, so that, you know, you can lose a little bit of credibility there. It can seem disingenuous or you have the, you know, people who use inappropriate humor. Okay, so inappropriate humor and humor that is bad <laughs> certainly agree doesn't belong. Uh, but humor is one of those things that's really important. Um, as you know, when we teach a class, we stand in front of a room. I'm standing up there for six hours. And in that six-hour time frame, if I just spoke for six hours, people would get so bored. They would, they would turn off completely. And so every few minutes, you want to try to change their mindset. You want to change something in their head. And so if you can add a little bit of humor into the content, every few minutes, they laugh. It reengages them. And again, it's an emotion. So they start to remember and they like it better. And, and it's less painful to sit in a room for six hours and, and listen to somebody talk. I think humor is one of those things that are really critical um, in, in the world. I'm also a member of National Speakers Association. And at National Speakers Association, there's a really interesting um, saying that they often say, and that is, do I have to have humor in my speeches? And the answer is only if you want to get paid. Professional speakers always have humor in their speeches. All great speakers have humor in their speeches. You can throw humor in. It doesn't have to be at the expense of anybody. Humor is really simply, once you start studying humor, it's kind of interesting because what humor is, is it's surprising somebody's mind. Take any joke that you laughed at and the reason you laughed is because you were expecting one thing and they said something different. And so we can do humor. We can add humor in a lot of different places in our, in our classes, in our speeches, in our stories. I, you know, I'm one of those people that uh, if you make me laugh, it goes a long way. You get that, that's definitely opens doors. It opens relationships. It makes everything more comfortable. So I'm a big humor fan. Well, I have to tell you, I'm one of those people that I'm not naturally funny. I have to work hard. And so if I give a, if I give a speech, and I'm recording it, 
and somebody snickers in the room, I'm going to take that and figure out what the heck they snickered at, so <laughs> tweak it into a joke. And next time I give that speech, I can try to get it a little bit better. I have to work really hard at this. You like made a science of trying to make a joke. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Study it. See, but there you go. Right. That's there's naturally funny and there's <laughs> scientifically funny. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's talk. You talked a little bit about, you know, changing up um, the pacing on people and, and having them switch through humor and other things. If you're giving a longer presentation, what about visual aids? You know, there's the, the idea of death by PowerPoint. There's also that it can keep things going forward. What kind of visual aids? Um, what are your what are your thoughts on visual aids? If you're going to be presenting uh, plans for the product or for the marketing group, how would you see those as in, in the pros and cons and, and might be good ways of leveraging them? I would suggest that we always step back to what's the main goal of what we're trying to get accomplished. And is that visual aid going to help us get to that goal or not going to help us get to that goal? So many speakers, so many people rely on PowerPoints, rely on visual aids. And if you have the ability to stand in front of your management team and communicate your point and your story without any visual aids at all, I think that they would be so impressed. But let me say that if you're going to start speaking numbers and ROI and charts, you really have to have visual aids for that because people can't hear numbers. They can't keep them straight if it's just oral. They really have to see them written and be able to process them. Um, so if we're going to start talking budgets and numbers, we need more than just our words. That's interesting that the visual aids can, for more complex or numeric concepts, can help the audience because they are harder to retain. The other thing we could use visual aids for, and I'm going to go back to emotion, is we can often use visual aids to help form an emotion. So if you see a picture that, that builds some emotion in your audience, that furthers the emotion you're trying to create, then visual aids are great for that. And visual aids are often really good for humor as well. If you can't remember the jokes, and yet you can find one that's pretty funny and it's a, a far side cartoon or something like that. By the way, don't break any copyright laws, but a cartoon like that, then, then oftentimes that really adds humor in it and just kind of helps. So one more thing uh, is, is an area where I struggle with, which is pacing. Uh, I'm certain you are aware, Mark, that I have a tendency to talk very, very quickly. Uh, I'd say my Boston showing. And so when I'm talking to a group, I tend to, and the more enthusiastic I am about something, <laughs> the, the faster I speak. Um, and so, I, I, so that for me is something I struggle with on the converse side of that. I really struggle with speakers where I find their pacing very slow, right? If their pacing is really slow for me, it's a ton of energy for me to stay on target and focused because I, I just am like, can you move faster, please, please, right? Um, so how do you work on pacing? What are some good hints around that? I think most speakers, when they first start speaking, speak too fast. And a lot of it is nerves because we're a little bit nervous. We stand in front of a room. We want to speak faster. Over time, what you're going to do, especially when you start recording yourself and listening and playing this back, is you're going to want to vary your pace. Sometimes you speak really fast. You want to show excitement. You want to show that you really care about this topic. And then other times you want to emphasize a point. 
I think pacing, though, becomes much, much easier for people once they learn the power of the pause. Pausing is so hard to do. If you stop speaking and just look at your audience for a second and count to three, it, it's, almost, it's almost painful to do this. But once you learn you can do this, then you learn, hey, I can speak fast and then stop. Or I can pause before a really important word. But once you learn the power of pausing, then it becomes so much easier to vary the pace throughout the entire speaking because you're not constantly speaking. Very interesting. And it was a great demonstration you used there as well. All right. So we know that the important things when we're learning how to, to be a better speaker so that we kind of increase our influence is that we need to know the purpose. What is the purpose of our presentation? Really hone in that so that we understand what message we're trying to get across. We're going to overcome our fear by being prepared, right? Knowing our topic area deep and practicing. Then we're going to bring people in and connect them to the emotions with stories. And we're going to keep them in and, and engaged by things like humor and maybe some well-placed visual aids and pacing variety and the very dramatic pause. Um, <laughs> uh, anything else? Anything else that you'd want? all of our listeners as they're going about and they go, okay, this is something I'm going to really work on in myself and in my career. What else can we give them to, to get them started? Let me offer two last suggestions, if I may. One more would be, do you memorize your speech or not? And the answer is no, you don't memorize your speech. I always memorize my opening line and my closing line. Because those two want to be really crisp, really clear, and you want to know how to get those done. Everything in between those two, you don't want to memorize, but you want to know the content really, really well. You're going to find that after you've delivered a story a hundred times, you say the exact same words. But it isn't because you memorize the story. That's just the way it comes out naturally now. The way I always learn a speech when I'm first learning how to give a talk is I'll write it. I'll physically write it down on a piece of paper and say, this is what I want to do. And I'll read it into a voice recorder. And then I'm going to go listen to it three or four times. But know that we don't speak the way we write. And so you just wrote a whole bunch of big, fancy words, not the way people speak. And what I'll do then is after I've listened to it three or four times, I'll get rid of my notes and I'll just speak it into a voice recorder again. And now that one I'm going to listen to three or four times. And that one I've now internalized into my head because that's what that's pretty much the way I'm going to give the story, tweaking it a little bit when it's time to stand in front of a room. I've now learned the content. I've heard the content, but I'm going to give it the way I speak, not the way I write. The last thing, the last thing I want to give everybody, if you think this is important, which I do hope you do, please go join Toastmasters. Toastmasters is a really inexpensive organization. It's less than $100 a year, $50 every six months. It's a very uplifting organization. People give each other support, um, feedback. You will learn how to become a better speaker. You'll learn more confidence. I'm so amazed at this organization, and I don't know why everybody doesn't belong to Toastmasters. You know, I've... Uh... I've been meaning to do it, and I've looked up my chapters, and I haven't joined yet, Mark, and I'm just going to have to go make that change. And let us all know how it goes. I will. Maybe we'll do a follow-up. All right. 
Mark, this was great. And I really do. I'm with you. I really hope people take these things and, and start to put them into action. All right. Well, thank you, Mark, for joining me today. It has been a pleasure to have you. And I hope you'll join us again soon. Love to. Excellent. All right. And thank you, all listeners. Remember, next week, we'll be back with another edition of Pragmatic Live.